Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence today. Thank you for the gathering of the family of God that is here today. And we know that it is no accident that we are here today, Lord. Um, you love us. You care for us. You want us to be here in your presence and in the presence of one another in order to be filled with your spirit, to be encouraged and uplifted, um, to become more fully alive in you. So would this message sink into our hearts today, Lord? Would you um, speak through me um, into the hearts and minds of those here today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this last Thursday, um, Pastor Andrew and I had the opportunity to go out to Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp just down the road, and we participated in something called a program review. And it's an opportunity for um, pastors or youth leaders from around um, the area to go out and see all of the skits and listen to all the theme verses that the cabin leaders and their program team have been putting together for a few weeks now. And it was really fun um, going into the chapel and seeing all of the energy of these young people who are excited to be there for Jesus, who have um, no fear of being wild and crazy and weird for Jesus, um, without judgment, and um, a time to re-energize our faith. And it reminds me, when I was there, it reminded me of when I was a junior cabin leader, or back then we called it counselors, um, when I was in high school. And I remember that summer um, having all of those same feelings of being excited for Jesus and um, feeling like I could be wild and crazy and weird and skits and dancing and jumping up and down for Jesus um, without judgment. It was a time for me to grow closer to him and be in the presence of other people who felt the same way. And all of those feelings kind of came back when I was there this last week. And um, I remember one summer, or that summer when I was a junior counselor, um, I didn't go home very often, but one time when I did go home, I had a friend who said to me, well, that place is just one big giant bubble, and it was kind of an offensive thing that they were describing, and at the time, I kind of responded angrily like, no, it's not a giant bubble, it's, it's just a place to go and learn about Jesus and love Jesus. But after some time and thinking, and even today, I would say, you know what? It is almost like a bubble. It is a bubble of Jesus-loving people who, when you are there, you feel welcomed as a Christian, loved as a follower of Jesus, accepted as a member of the family of God, encouraged in worship and the Word of God, in order to prepare to go back out into the world um, where you may face persecution where you may be called names for following Jesus. When I was um, in high school, I was labeled a goody two-shoes because I was a Christian. Um, or when we find ourselves worn out by the world around us with work or school, family or friends issues, sickness or loneliness. And I would say that this is kind of what the church is like. Us here today, gathering in this space today, this is what the church is like, and this is what the church should be. It should be a big bubble of Jesus-loving people that when you enter this church building in this space, that you know you're in the company of other people who believe in the same God and same Jesus as you. A place where you can feel encouraged and welcomed and accepted and loved. And it should be a place where if someone who is not a believer in Jesus comes in, that they can experience what it means to be more fully alive in Christ. It's this space where we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in us 
and around us and encourages us and uplifts us. And this is because when you have a relationship with Jesus, it's powerful to gather with other people who also have a relationship with that same Jesus. Have you ever had an experience like that? When Maybe it's at like a Christian concert when you're worshiping alongside other people who believe the same thing as you. Or a time maybe at camp. Or a time in your childhood when you remember gathering at vacation Bible school or gathering at your church home when you felt uplifted being surrounded by other Christians that made you feel more alive in Christ. My hope today is that we will first be challenged to be people here at Emmanuel who love and encourage anyone who walks in this door, but also that we will see how necessary this church family is. We are a group of people that when we come together, we know we are among people who will walk alongside of us and encourage us without judgment. Today in our reading, we heard um, from a passage in Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is. We actually don't even know who the audience is, uh, um, who was meant to receive this letter. But what we do know from the way it is written is that it is likely written to a group of Jews who converted to Christianity. So they were Jewish Christians who would gather together for a time of worship and prayer and fellowship. They were a church. And during this time of Christianity, we know that Christians were hated and persecuted in the world. They were brutally beaten, they were thrown in prison, and even killed in terrible and unspeakable ways just for believing in Jesus. Now, the author of Hebrews is often referred to as the pastor of Hebrews because it's kind of like one big, long sermon. So I thought for the rest of my sermon today, I'd just pull out Hebrews and we can just read you know, everything from beginning to end. Just kidding. (laughs) In our reading today, we heard from Hebrews 10, and up to this point, this pastor of Hebrews has been preaching on all sorts of theological foundations to support that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world. And all of these foundational things are that Jesus is the better messenger, better than any prophet that came before, that Jesus has the better message, that Jesus is, a better, is better than a servant, that Jesus is better than other biblical heroes of faith, that Jesus is the better high priest, that Jesus is the better covenant, Jesus is the better assurance of faith, Jesus is the better athlete, Jesus is the unshakable mountain, that Jesus is the better blessing. So you get the theme here, that Jesus is better than anyone or anything that we have ever heard or experienced up to this point. So this pastor of Hebrews is gathering with his people, his church, who have been beaten, bruised physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, who have witnessed the deaths of their friends in brutal ways, and they fear for their own lives, and the pastor is gathering with them saying, Jesus is better. Cling to Jesus. He wanted to encourage them to remain strong and remember who they were and whose they were and why they believe in Jesus instead of the world around them. And he says the way to do this is by consistently being in Christian community, by making an effort to be surrounded by people who believe in the same thing they do and who will encourage them regularly. It was a passage of invitation saying, here is Jesus, the one who I have told you about. 
He is the Son of God. Now I want you to continually engage in this time of worship and prayer because when you do this, you will leave filled up and ready to be confident, confidently enter the world. So the message for us today is actually really important um, because we too want to know why is it important for us to continuously and habitually gather here. So um, we're going to read pieces of our Hebrews passage. Um, if you want to pull out your pew Bible, we will be on page 1873. Um, open up to Hebrews 10. And I'm going to read bits and pieces of our passage. So this is Hebrews 10, verse 19. This beginning section on verses 19 through 22 talk about what it means to move toward Jesus with confidence. And so it says, Therefore, brothers, um, in other translations it says brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So we're going to pause there. Um, the first thing is it, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters. So the pastor wants them to know that they are family. And when they meet together, they are not condemned for their fear. They are not condemned for the experiences that they've witnessed or been part of in the world. They are claimed as family. And over and over again throughout the Bible, we hear these types of words, that we are brothers and sisters, family of God, body of Christ, people of God. And so for us, that means we have a place here where we belong. And I hope when you enter these church building, this church building that you know that you belong. And right now, whatever brings you to church this morning, know that this is a place where you are considered family. And it is no accident that you are here. The next thing that it talks about is having confidence to enter the most holy place. And so this holy place that they're talking about is this place in the temple that was separated by a curtain. And behind that curtain was the presence of God. And only once per year on the Day of Atonement, or a Jewish holiday called Yom Kippur, um, the high priest would enter the presence of God, and it was so holy that they would tie a rope around their foot and have a rope outside so that if for some reason they were to die in the presence of God, then they could pull them out from behind the curtain without having to enter that holy space. That's how holy our God was, was considered. And so that priest on that one day of the year would go behind that curtain to atone for the sins of all of the Jewish people, all of God's people. No one else would enter that space. But when Jesus died, it says that the curtain to that temple was torn in two. And that meant that everyone was welcomed into the presence of God. And so the pastor of Hebrews is acknowledging that it's because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us that we can live with hope and confidence in this world, knowing that we are in God's presence. There is nothing that is separating us from the, from the presence of God. And Jesus has made a way for us to be confident in this world. He has set us free from sin, 
which means we don't have to live every day in doubt and fear about who we are or whose we are or our eternal destiny or our sin. That should give us hope. And I can't imagine living in this world without Jesus Christ. I don't know if you ever feel that way when you experience um, so much grief or sadness or witness it in other people's lives who do not have Jesus, the hopelessness that can come with that. And so it says also then to let us draw near to God. He's telling these people, whatever you're going through in life, cling to God, cling to Jesus. When we are in need, we need to go to God. When we are afraid, we go to God. When we are sick, we go to God. Because he's the only one that we can be confident in. And he wants us to move toward Jesus with boldness and full assurance of faith. You see, before Jesus' death and resurrection, being an Israelite or a person of God meant waiting all year long for that day of atonement for your sins to be forgiven. For 364 days of the year, they carried the burden of their sins on their minds and their hearts, and then the shofar would blow, the horn would blow, and they would all gather together for their ritual of going to the priest, making their sacrifices before God, to then find themselves clean, asking God for forgiveness, for lust, for greed, for envy, for bitterness, resentment, hatred, sexual immorality, selfishness, neglect, etc. Can you imagine the anxiety and hopelessness, self-pity and doubt that we would experience if we had to live like that? Thank goodness for Jesus, because it's then that we get to experience freedom and hope and the full assurance of our faith. So we know Jesus, and we have witnessed in this, in this book here that there are people who were part of Jesus' time, who know of his death and resurrection. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts giving us that truth. So this is what it means to experience the full assurance of our faith. It means that we're made clean once and for all. And we can live confidently in this world knowing that Jesus has made us clean and we are with him. The next section um, in verse 23 is all about hanging on to that hope then. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So we are called to hang on to hope unswervingly. This means not wavering, not sinking like Peter when he stepped out of the boat onto the water to walk on water, not letting the news grip us in fear or sickness render us hopeless. One of my favorite songs growing up was by Cademan's Call called Shifting Sand, and the chorus says, My faith is like shifting sand, changed by every wave, so I stand on grace, which means I can't do that on my own. I can't have hope in this world on my own. I have to have that with Jesus. And this theme of hope is repeated throughout Hebrews. Um, in Hebrews 3, 6, it says, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast to our confidence. In Hebrews three fourteen, it says, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And in Hebrews 4, 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And all throughout 
the Bible. We have these promises of God that tell us how he is faithful, that he takes care of us, that he strengthens us, protects us from the enemy, forgives us, makes us brand new. And this is the God that we put our hope in. And we are to have a faith and a hope that is unwavering. That's hard to do. It really is hard to do. But we are to put our hope in God. And then the last part, verses 24 through 25, is all about encouraging one another and engaging in Christian community so that we can remain in that hope. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So it says to spur one another on. It means we need to spend time with other Christian believers. We need to hang out and share the cool things that God is doing in our lives with people who will cheer us on and celebrate those things, as well as encourage us when we are feeling depleted or disconnected from God. The word encourage in Greek, in Greek is from the word parakaleo, which means to ask or beg or plead, to comfort, to encourage and exhort, to urge, to call and invite. And that word parakaleo is very similar to the word paraclete, which means the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our spiritual advocate who is encouraging us, just as we are to encourage one another. And then it says we're to not give up meeting together. We need to spend time with Christian believers regularly, so much that it becomes a habit. Whether it's going out for lunch or coffee with a Christian friend, meeting with a friend group of believers in a small group, or hanging out and having fun with a group of Christian friends, and even more formally gathering here in this space. This is important because your presence here is so vital because not only is it an opportunity for you to come and be encouraged by the community and the word of God, but for you to encourage somebody else. It says even back in that time of the Hebrew church, people fell out of the habit of meeting regularly, which we know is a struggle today. So I want to encourage you to regularly engage in our Christian community. And if you need help with that, reach out to us. We're here for you, your family, and we would love to help you with that. So why, then, do we need encouragement? Why do we need this Christian community? Well, the first thing in our John reading today we learned is that we face persecution in this world. We may not face the persecution like the Hebrews did where we would experience death or beating or jail. There are parts of our world today where that does happen. But we still face persecution in different ways. It says in our John reading that Christians will be hated in this world because people hate Jesus. We see this all over our nation and our politics and the lives of people around us. And I was listening to a Mark Driscoll sermon this week, and He's someone I like to listen to regularly, but um, he did a study once on what people think of Christians, and it was a focus group in 2018, so it's been a little while, um, but he went to four different cities and found um, different random people and asked the question, what do you think of Christians? And the words that he heard from people were things like that they're stifling, 
It gives people an excuse to be hateful towards others. It makes them feel like they are better than others. Oppressive, full of rules, a cult, full of conversion and coercion, intolerant, uninformed, misguided, manipulative. It's all about indoctrinating kids or conformity. Crazy, weak, closed-minded, too happy. I didn't know that could be a bad thing. Overbearing, militant, brainwashed, or brainwashing others. Anti-science and meaningless. Have you ever experienced anything like that in your world, even just to a little extent in your conversations with others or experience with others? As Christians, we're going to experience two things, major things in this world, and that could be love or that could be hate. And God loves us, and he sends us in the world to love him and love others. That's the Great Commission. But we will sometimes get in return hate or being hurt by other people. And this isn't an us issue. This is a big kingdom issue. This is why Jesus tells us that this is a battle between the world and the kingdom of God, and we are caught up in it. You may go out into the world and bear the good news of Jesus, and people may not like that message or the messenger. This is why we come together regularly to meet. Because when we go out in the world and we experience that, we need to surround ourselves with people who will encourage us and uplift us. Another reason we may need this space to gather and encourage one another is because we become drained and depleted by the world around us. Could be stress, turmoil in relationships. We are human. <laughs> We're going to experience brokenness in this world. And in this space, we can be here to encourage you in your marriage, in your parenting, in your family situations, in your work, in your sickness, in your loneliness, in your grief. I want to read an excerpt from a book called Gather um, by Tony Merida, and this is from the Love Your Church series, which is a really great book. But it says, As we live in this broken world during the week, it is easy to grow tired and even discouraged. As we deal with challenges in our relationships, we can become disheartened. As we endure spiritual warfare, we can feel weakened. For all these reasons and more, we need to gather. The gathering gives us hope for the weekly battle. We can read the Bible on our own. We can have devotions with our family. We can take a vacation to rest. But we still need encouragement, instruction, and support from the church. The gathering equips us inspires us, challenges us, and reminds us of our calling to live lives worthy of the gospel as we scatter. So we meet, we gather in order to scatter. So what do you do from here then? How do you find that encouragement in our faith community? Well, first is through relationships, by finding someone that you can meet with regularly, whether that's here on Sunday mornings or um, meeting one-on-one. -on -one. Andrew and I would love to meet one-on-one -on -one with you for coffee um, or a lunch. Maybe it's joining a club or an activity where you're doing something you love to do but with other Christians or plugging into a small group. Another idea is getting a mentor, someone who you can meet with and study with regularly, who you can share your inmost struggles with without judgment and who will pray for you and be with you. Another one is to get plugged in to ministries and opportunities to serve others. And we know summers are busy, and that can be a challenge. But I want to challenge you 
to make this gathering something that is a priority as much as possible. And as, that's because as we encourage each other, we are preparing ourselves to go out then into the world and live out the calling that God has called us to. As we hear God's word proclaimed through the scripture or we experience the power of the worship and the singing, um, we become encouraged. And when we gather, we're reminded of the truth of who God is and who we belong to. One of the best forms of encouragement to wrap up our time today is through prayer. And after worship every week, we try to have prayer partners available. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be people who, when we are struggling or celebrating anything, that we run to prayer because that is our connection with the Lord. I remember what it was like being part of a church community where I would stand up and pray for people regularly. I remember the time a girl collapsed in my arms in tears because of a broken relationship, and we prayed together and gave that to God. Or the time that I felt the need to pray for someone who was experiencing migraines regularly, and she came forward and we prayed regularly about these migraines. Or there were other times when I needed prayer. I remember a long time ago when Andrew got healing in his back because of prayer, or when I felt the powerful presence of God during a time when I was bent over with crippling anxiety. And I've even witnessed people released from demonic oppression and see them walking away encouraged and free. So one of the best forms of encouragement is to come forward after worship and receive prayer from those who want to connect you to the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for this connection that we have with you, for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. I thank you that we can turn to you for anything, Lord, no matter where we are at, no matter what we are going through. And Lord, I lift up this family to you, and I pray that we would meet regularly, that we would make a habit of coming together to worship you and encouraging one another. Wherever we find ourselves today, Lord, would this space be one where we feel free, where we feel safe, where we feel loved. We love you, Jesus, and we enter into this time of worship, giving our hearts all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.